0: Thought Leadership Studio. You're listening to Thought Leadership Studio, the podcast that helps you master high-level positive mass influence to create distinctive business niches, captivate an audience, grow your following, and change the game by changing Frame with Strategic Thought Leadership. Thought Leadership Studio. Welcome back to Thought Leadership Studio. I'm your host, Chris McNeil, and this is Episode 67, Strategic Insights in Marketing Innovation with Aditya Vempati of MoEngage, Crafting the Future of Engagement insights on leveraging artificial intelligence for deep personalization in marketing strategies. What this episode will do for you is help you learn the significance of meeting customers where they are with Aditya's insights as well as strategies for crafting messages that resonate on a personal basis. Explore innovative approaches to engage customers and build lasting relationships. Explore the journey from humor to innovation in marketing, sparking both ha-ha and aha moments among audiences. Delve into the art of truly meeting customers where they are, ensuring every message deeply resonates, and witness the transformation of traditional marketing beliefs into dynamic, personalized strategies, including those powered by artificial intelligence. But before we dive more deeply into this episode, in case you're new here, consider that I created the Thought Leadership Studio podcast to help listeners improve their thought leadership skills. So whether or not you consider yourself a thought leader at this point, consider that I've come to the conclusion that the practice of strategic thought leadership is now fundamental to effective marketing and helpful in any area of positive influence. It's about leading an audience to embrace a unique perspective that gives them more value. So this podcast is designed to provide an accelerated training process. And an important part of this is having models of excellence for which I provide interviews of people who excel in one or more areas relevant to strategic thought leadership. And if you're listening... On an app, make sure you visit the episode page on thoughtleadershipstudio.com. It's linked in the episode description for a summary of the episode with a curated transcript, a story and images, and additional resources and offers. In this episode, I interview Aditya Vimpati, the North America marketing lead at MoEngage. We discuss the significance of personalized customer engagement and digital marketing. He highlights the challenges marketers face, such as data overload and the necessity for integrated marketing tools. We also discuss the transformative power of humor in innovation and innovation in marketing, moving from haha to aha moments to captivate audiences. We delve into the art of understanding and engaging customers by meeting them where they are, ensuring messages resonate personally and contextually. Aditya also discusses the shift from traditional marketing beliefs towards a landscape where personalization and relevance reign supreme. His insights spotlight the journey towards creating more meaningful, customer-centric experiences in the digital age. So without further ado, let's jump right into the interview. Thought Leadership Studio so i'm your host chris McNeil, thought leadership studio and i'm sitting across zoom with aditya vimpati who leads north America Marketing at MoEngage. He's a problem-focused marketing executive category creator with an engineering background. He's built and scaled marketing teams for software-as-a-service, life sciences, and enterprise infrastructure companies, prioritizing customer problems. His past teams have achieved a 400% revenue growth in 16 months in amplitude, leading to a successful IPO. Similarly, at Newtonix, they created a category and built a marketing and sales team that focused on solving customers' pressing problems, resulting in a $4.5 billion, with a B, IPO. Aditya's data-driven approach to marketing and focus on customer needs have driven sustainable sales pipelines on a global scale. And don't we all want to have sustainable sales pipelines on a global scale? Welcome.
1: Thank you for having me on the show, Chris. I'm really excited to chat hopefully share whatever knowledge I can and, you know, give value to your uh, listeners. Looking forward to it. So
0: what set you on this path of marketing technology, of building these types of sustainable sales pipelines on a global scale?
1: Yeah, um, I think it went back to uh, how I like to say I'm a failed engineer who fell in love with marketing. And the reason is, you know, as engineering, um, you know, saying they writing lines of code is great. Uh, you can impact a lot of people. I just miss that human interaction. And I realized I really enjoy uh, working with people in person or using words or engaging them at a psychological level where I am ensuring I build trust and deliver value to them so that they recognize the problems they're having and hopefully choose the products that I represent as their solutions, as solutions for them. Um, But it was mainly about being able to engage and, get audiences to psychologically buy into what I was uh, marketing to them or presenting to them. Ah, so, you, so you get satisfaction from influence. Yeah, I, I definitely do. I do get satisfaction from influencing people in a positive way, obviously. Uh, sure. In, in ways that solve their problems, not in ways that make them buy things that may not be necessary to their life. <laughs>
0: Well, it's all about serving people, you know, and if, if you create an environment where people can better learn what their needs are and how, what you have to offer can help them, you can help them elevate their lives in many ways, obviously. So you, you switched from engineering to marketing, but yep. do you still have but the,
1: the engineering background inform what you do. Yeah, it actually does quite a bit. That's a great question. Right. Um I think I, in the last about 10 to 15 years, marketing has gone to a radical shift. Um, it's gone from not being data-driven to being too data-driven. Sure. And I, I think we've sung too far and too fast to the other direction. And so everything now has become like in the engineering world, right? Where's the data? What does it tell me? Dig into the data. Should we continue doing this? Should we not continue doing this? And that's where it's helped me make decisions, but where I think engineering has... Fun fact, hurt. I think I would say most marketers is that we've lost creativity in marketing and said, Does the data do it or not do it? and focused on that more than like, Hey, you have to be creative and look at what's going on in the market. Uh, look at how much noise there is and how do you stand out through that noise? What are creative things you can do that the data doesn't show you? And the engineering side has helped me, I would say, be very data driven. But then the creative side has kind of like pulled that back to be like, Hey, we got to try some things here because the data is a lagging indicator of what will work and not a leading indicator of what to do. That's an
0: excellent point. I think that plays right into my whole shtick with strategic thought leadership. And it's about leading people to new creative solutions, new, new creative ideas and so forth, as opposed to studying what people did in the past to predict what they're going to do in the future. Now, there's not some value, but what do you think about using data from the customer's point of view to help them um, to better listen to customers and learn what their maybe unmet values and needs are that they may have trouble articulating, but the right type of listening could discover.
1: You, you hit the nail on, my ha- on the head. This is actually how I like deeply, deeply love marketing and care about marketing is because of this. Um, I love talking to prospects, surveying prospects, to understand what their real problems are. Mm-hmm. Uh, not what you hear, oh, I bought the solution for X, Y, Z. I think people tell you only what you want you wanna hear. But when you survey them and survey larger groups, you start seeing trends, you start understanding what the core problem is, what's the business problem they're trying to address. And the biggest thing is how do you talk to customers and hear their pain point and not focus on the solution? Um, oftentimes, For me, it's about being creative and being like, hey, don't worry about the solution. Don't worry about what you want to buy or you want to solve it. Tell me how this problem is hurting you. Tell me how it's making your life worse. Tell me how it's impacting your business. Forget about solving it. Really like asking how their life would be if they could solve it versus what would they use to solve it and getting into the nuts and bolts of it. And then understanding, um, this is all my, my, my favorite thing to do is understanding like all the vocab and the terms and then like all the jokes that these people have in these industries and really like bringing that to light um at my previous uh company like we we did a shirt that said i can't i don't catch feelings i catch fraud and we service people who are fighting fraud and people love that they're like oh my god this is great it's a it's understanding their pain and making a joke of it and being creative. So they engage with you. And as you said earlier, it's not about like, data doesn't tell you where to go, but it does tell you like what's happened and you can use that and formulate where to go next from a creative aspect. And then like, even at Mo Engage, um, we're putting a report together or we surveyed over 1200 people and put a report analyzing 700 and like 60 of them about what their pain points are on cross channel marketing. And we partnered with the market to make the report. And had him do drawings about the pain points. So, like, and those drawings are funny and they engage the audience and make them laugh at their own problems in a way where you're like, oh, I remember that. That's great. That brand understands me um, and formulating that connection. That's awesome. I'm getting a couple of cool
0: threads to click up on here that I kind of want to draw out for our yeah. audience, if you don't mind. One of them is I love the humor aspect. Yeah. And, uh, Someone said, aha is very close to haha, and that the paradigm shift is the essence of humor, yep. and also the essence of innovation, being able to see things from a new perspective. I, I mean, a good joke shifts your perspective, and that's that's the punchline. You and, nailed it. Yeah, and innovation does the same thing. So um, keeping people in a, a learning state, if you want to have a creative team, for instance, means keeping things light. So... That, that are open to new ideas um, with that looking for what could be different from how we normally look at things. And this whole paradigm that you're working with, with MoEngage, with cross-channel marketing, uh, is, of course, fascinating. Because anybody who wants to have large-scale influence, who wants to make a difference, and wants to lead an audience somewhere new, is going to be doing it through media these days. They're not going town to town, shaking hands, knocking on doors like politicians in the 1800s. You know, um, yep. maybe to some extent, it's nice when we can have these conferences where people actually meet in person, uh, but it's typically done over media. Yep. And my understanding is what you're doing with Mo Engage is trying to make that more of a seamless, low friction process for a customer, or say your meta clients, your clients' clients. That's to, right. To engage with your clients, what what are some things you think might be interesting to our audience of thought leaders, entrepreneurs, marketers, innovators and in thinking um, about what you've learned through bringing that to life and expanding it as a VP of North America for
1: Mo Engage? Yeah, I think the, the biggest thing, right, is the problems. Um, anyone who's listening to this that's, you know, has a company or leading an organization, right, can't stress enough about understanding your prospects. And more than just understanding your prospects, meeting them where they are. Um, you, you, with MoEngage, like what we really are trying to do with our product is enable our customers who brands to meet their customers where they are on their journey. If a customer is interacting with the brand and they only like making a purchase off a website, but they open an email and scroll and then go to their, go to the website to make a purchase and not an app, we want to make sure to surface those insights for the brand. So the brands are like, oh, this is how I got to operate. This is how this person makes that purchase and then at the same vein, there'd be another person who only makes purchases in an app and doesn't look at email and only does responds if you do in it, like a notification for the app and really how do brands service both of these, because these are both different types of purchasing patterns from the same product that they want to buy. And so at Age, we want to enable brands to service audiences in their pattern of their customer journey and how they make purchases and how they interact with the brand. And that requires different level levers to pull on different channels and different messaging, but brands need to know that they need to know how these purchases are happening or not and what it takes so they can contextually make sure they're delivering value to their customers and not just sending emails to someone who's like, I'm never opening the email, but if you sent it to me and you realize in an app that I'll make a purchase, knowing that, and knowing that the customer gets the value of, okay, I should send an in-app push. I don't need to send them an email for them to get value from me. And vice versa, another person who only purchases through email and the website versus never opens the app. And allowing them to have these insights and use these insights and accordingly deliver value to their audiences. Isn't it fascinating how intricate
0: marketing has gotten where you have this psychological layer of positive persuasion of empowering people to make smarter purchase decisions or get more value out of a product or service and all the content marketing that we do to help them do that and to build a relationship by empowering our audience. But then you have the technology layer of are the right channels matching up with how our customers really behave when they interact with our message and grow closer to us and then interact with our products and services and with our people on the way to getting those products and services.
1: Exactly. like That that intricate layer of positivity, understanding the intricate layer, putting in that angle of positivity and knowing when to use it to get the product and deliver the product and services that people want. You're talking about the magic bullet, right? You're talking about understanding the customer journey, understanding where the gaps are and how you can bridge them together. And that's what we really want to do at Moan Gage is tie that together for people on whatever scale, large or small, whatever frequency as well. So,
0: what are some outdated belief systems that you found that are prevalent in customers and business people in general that have inhibited them from making the best use of technology and and getting their message to the customer and, and connecting with their customers that could use an overhaul? If you had to overhaul, four or five prevalent belief systems that are still out of date that need to be brought up to date, what would those be?
1: There's three, I would say. I don't know if there's four or five, but there's three deep convictions I think I have, right? Um, and they they start from this quote uh, that I read, it and it stuck with me so well. Again, storytelling, right? Um, and emotional connections here. Aha to ha Um It was this quote that said, don't sell people quarter-inch drills, sell them quarter-inch holes. And that stuck with me because it identifies three key things that are still broken today, even in the new, as you said, media digital age. One is people are very focused on their products. They're still trying to sell people a quarter-inch drill and talking about how the drill is amazing, it doesn't break, it's made from X, Y, Z. Then the next is that they're actually trying to sell people. You're really like just trying to see there and say, like, not just the product, but you're constantly trying to get them to buy. People will buy when they want to buy. They're not going to buy on your timeline. They're going to buy on your terms, right? And so that's the second part, stop trying to sell somebody, right? And the first part, is stop trying to sell your, stop trying to talk about your product. Stop trying to sell them. And the third one is you need to focus on the problem. And that has not shifted. People still talk about the company. They focus on what the company can do. They focus on getting you to buy something and they focus on getting you to buy a specific product. And so a lot of the marketing still is, I am X company, this is what I do for you and this is what you should buy from me. Instead of, hey, this is a problem that you have. This is how that problem is impacting you and this is how it's affecting your life. Let me give you insights into how the world could be if this problem was solved, regardless of you purchasing from me or not. And that quote, I think summarizes it so well. Like I said, don't, you know, don't sell a quarter inch drill, sell a quarter inch, uh tell them how they can drill a quarter inch hole.
0: Well, you know, we all, we start these companies and we invest our hearts in them and we get emotionally attached to them. And we forget that we need to Quit falling in love with our products and services, and fall in love with our
1: customers and prospects instead. Yep, and and it's not easy though, right? Like it, because when you build a company or you build a product, whether you take funding or you get customers, it's balancing acts of hey, I know what I'm doing. To oh crap, maybe I don't know what I'm doing. And you listen to the customer. And what I notice with entrepreneurs, you have to have a conviction to move forward, but you also have to have the humility to have conversations that may not be comfortable. And it's not easy. And that's where I think we have to break that mold and be okay. Our baby's not ugly. We just need to put them in different clothes. And people don't like hearing your baby's ugly. Your baby's not ugly. It's just the clothes aren't working on the baby. So let's figure out how to make the baby look good.
0: <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. Some some people call it designing from the outside in, that, that deep empathy of being able to really step into your prospect and customer and see things through their eyes. And then Feel what they're feeling and look out from that point of view and design your product and service through them. But it's it's hard sometimes to see our organizations through the tinted glasses of our customers and prospects, more limited understanding of what we do. And I imagine that's really challenging with such a technical product as you represent How do you break down those barriers and get on the customer side when you're dealing with highly technical things you need to describe and get them to adapt to?
1: Yeah. And so dealing with those barriers, right? um, Oftentimes what I see is people really get into the features, right? And they really get into the nitty gritty and be like, this is how this works. This is how this can be done. And this is what it does for you. But most people find and formulate connections with stories, with emotion, And so I always try to make sure we go back to what is the deep emotional connection that they have with the problem and really be like, Hey, this is the problem. How's it hurting you? And this is how we, this is how it could be solved. And this is how we solve it and really form that deep emotional connection with the problem and not the feature but with the problem and how it resonates with us and with a potential solution. And that's what we really start before going into the technical features and speeds and feeds and abilities. And that's what we try to do. Um, And we're going through a bit of a shift here, but that's what we want to end up at. And it's going to take a little bit of time, but that's the goal.
0: Do you have maybe a story that you could share of a particular situation with whatever details you're, of course, comfortable sharing over a podcast that would kind of
1: take it out of the abstract and bring that concept to life a little more? Yeah. So here's an example. Um, So we just did a survey straight across state of cross-channel marketing. As I said, we analyzed over 760 B2C marketers. And then we asked them, what are your priorities? What are your challenges? Tell us your best practice for having success in cross-channel marketing. And when we did that, we asked, we found out their top problem, right, was that they they said 45% of marketers can't make timely updates to deliver personalized communication to their audiences based on data. And and they said that that causes them, because of that, to prioritize acquiring new customers at about 57% said I focus on acquiring new customers Versus only 40% said, I focus on retaining my current ones. Uh-huh. And then when we dug into it more, they said it's because 31, 32% said that the data silos are preventing them from delivering real-time personalization to retain their current customers. So it's easier to acquire new ones, even if it costs more. So that's where that problem shows the business impact that's limited by a technological issue that emotionally is causing pain. Mm-hmm. And that's where we looked at it and started saying, hey, we need to make sure to talk about that pain. Talk about how you have a leaky bucket. If all you're doing is acquiring new customers and saying you don't have enough budget and resources, well, yeah, it costs more to get a new customer than retain one. But you're saying you can't retain one because you have these data silos that aren't allowing you to deliver personalized messages that drive retention. So it just becomes a loop. And that's where really the problem comes to light. And we say like, hey, what if you didn't have a data silo? What would your world look like? What if your data was connected and you can deliver personalized expense, uh, experiences? How would that impact your ability to retain people? And that's how we start that narrative is really starting with that problem and then talking about what it means to their business because of that problem. And then what would the world look like if they could solve it? And that's then we introduce whatever technical features that could help solve it, but first we want to get them to recognize their problem, recognize that they are the hero, they are dealing with it, and we're just Yoda giving them a plan that could potentially solve it for them. But have that, have that view of you're the hero, you're taking these challenges on, we're not. We're just here to help you.
0: Uh huh. You're the herald of the hero's journey.
1: Exactly.
0: And, and uh, I know some are like, well, I don't want to focus on people's pain, but to me it's like the pain is there. What you're doing is you're helping people crystallize it, make it more conscious. So, through that analysis and understanding, we can
1: better create a ladder out of that hole the summer better. Exactly. And then also the emotional connection of letting them know that we view them as the heroes, the luminaries, right? You view them as doing the hard work of building their brands and ensuring their customers get value from whatever they're doing. And I think that is really key from an emotional aspect that a lot of marketing doesn't do, and it's something that more marketing needs to do because that allows them to get out of the way of the customer and out of their own product and focus on the, on the value to deliver to the customer and how to solve their issues, regardless of your product or not. I
0: would agree 100 percent with that.
1: And, and it's like to me, it's like
0: we need data, we need information, we need information to make decisions on. But we also need to recognize the way we package and utilize information can somehow, sometimes create a disconnect with the empathy we need to feel that prevents us from revering the role of the customer and prospect to the level that we should. We need to see them as a data point, you know, so having that empathy and being able to really uh, revere them fully as people, see them fully, hear them fully is is um, is an art form when you're also dealing with large quantities of the type of data you need to analyze market trends and things like that. How do you parse data for, for insights as to what is going to come
1: up next that you wouldn't be able to predict otherwise? Yeah, th- this is actually, I love doing this too. Um, we actually just survey the customers. We ask them directly, like, Hey, we like I said the survey we just said we asked them like, what do you think is has made you successful in cross channel marketing? What do you think your investments are going to be in cross channel marketing? And we asked them directly like, where do you see the future going? Right, ultimately you can think the future is going somewhere, but as you said, it's a lot of gut and data that needs to mirror together to see where the trends and patterns are going. And an example of this is everyone is all on the AI hype train right? Everyone's like, AI everything, AI everywhere. And marketers are like, AI is great, but am I going to lose my job? Wait a second. What's AI? (laughs) I'm just kidding. kidding. (laughs) That'd be amazing because that'd be a lineup with what we're seeing when we surveyed that out of the 760 people across various industries, about 23% aren't using AI at all as marketers. They're like, I just don't use it. But the highest use case for AI was using it for subject lines and so that, like that that tells you how in it, how much in its infancy ai is for marketers and also how much more education has to be done with marketers on ai and its potential applications and that's where the data told us like okay ai like we care about it but the marketers don't really care about it yet and they don't really think of it outside of using it for subject lines as a powerful weapon yet but they want you? to
0: sure What do they need to know from your perspective? If there's marketers listening right now, it's like,
1: okay, what will I do for me? Or what what do I need to do to extract the most out of it? Exactly. And that's where in looking at this data and this understanding and asking what the trends are, for them is they want to be able to connect their data sources together. There's too much data silos. So they can start putting that data together and using AI to formulate experiences on top. And right now they're not able to do that. So to them, it's become like a single instance use of generating email subject lines versus can I craft entire campaigns using all the data sources based on a segment of users. And to get there, it requires a lot of backend work for them. And it requires them rethinking about how they're tooling their current systems. And some of them, and most aren't ready yet to make that jump. They just aren't ready because they're not ready to give up that control. That was another thing that we found in doing this survey was that a lot of them are like, hey, I just, I'm not ready to do that because I just don't trust it enough yet. And I need to see more before I jump in and and trust my brand to be supported and, you know, co-piloted by AI. I'm just not there yet. And this is where you said it perfectly at the start, right? Data will tell us what's going on, but we have to talk to them also to know where they want to go.
0: Mm-hmm. And, yeah, you know, I've had a um, personal concern about gathering data by surveys that you probably have some great answers to address. So i throw it your way. Yeah. And I, I think back to a um, story Seth Godin told, and I'll probably get the details wrong, but there was, there was a test group for a product. And the test group, this um, focus group, I guess you'd call it, played with it, checked it out, uh, got a tutorial on it. Loved it, and did a survey of the group and said, how much would you pay for this? $200, would you buy it right now if it was $200? Everybody said, yes, absolutely. And then at the end, it said, okay, we're going to pay for this. Uh, We're going to pay the $50 we promised, or you can have the product. And everybody picked the $50 which I think there's this dynamic with surveys that people answer the way they want to be perceived as thinking as opposed to how they act, which is normally mostly unconscious. How do you, how do you deal with that dynamic when, when gathering data through surveys? And I've got ideas on how to do that that we use, but I wanna hear your take on it.
1: Yeah, I mean, so that, that's, that's a great question, right? Um, luckily, we haven't done surveys, where we ask people, will they purchase something or not? I've often asked them more thought leadership slash pain points. But um, we have done surveys in instance where we're testing product pricing and asked them what they would be willing to pay for this product. And oftentimes for us, surveys fail at that point, to be very honest with you, because people can hide behind a, a, a question or an answer that they give. And so to dig into that, um, we look at surveys and look at the ones that answer in interesting ways that for us matter and actually interview them one-on-one and offer more monetary amounts and ask them like, hey, you said you'd buy this. Would you sign the contract? Oh, no. Why wouldn't you? Well, I don't really have a need for it is an, is an answer we hear. Then why would you say yes? Well, it's because if I had a need, this looked interesting and I could make a purchase. So then we dig into deeper secondary level of, Okay, if you, what would that need be? Uh, well, it would be X, Y, Z. Okay, that's not what you said in the survey. And it's back to what you were saying. They want to be perceived a certain way as a luminary, as a thought leader. And so you have to double click in to these respondents in a one-on-one situation and you actually get even more crystallized answers. So the quantitative and qualitative go together at that point.
0: Sure, of course, for a, an individual organization, they can study the actual demand for product or service what customers say they want in their own words and and start to collate that type of data to to do that kind of outside in study of real world demand for product or service but of course that limits the audience size
1: yep yep and that's where we oftentimes with like product launches and surveys we'll dig in and dig deeper into one-on-one conversations where surprisingly more truth comes out than the survey responses um and it's back to your point of how they want to be perceived versus how they're really thinking about things. And there's, it's a science uh, and an art put together. It's not, it's not science or art, it takes both. Um, and that's where we have to be, I would say mindful of that information. Um, even in our surveys, right? Like we have 1200 people fill it out, but we only use data from 760 because we looked at the patterns and how long some people were taking to fill out the questions or how they're answering certain questions versus others. And we realize, like, hmm, this looks like someone rushed through. This looked like someone like definitely picked the first choice possible. Um, so like in survey design, you introduce randomization of the choices. So people just aren't going all the way through that they have to actually think about it and adding variance to the survey of like a sliding bar versus like multiple choice or stack ranking. Uh, Abbott, you want to be close. You want to be cautious with how much you throw in there, but using that type of different formats helps to, to get honest answers. Makes, makes perfect sense. So this has been fascinating with
0: and I appreciate your time. And it's the way we usually wind these podcasts up is, is two ways. First of all, I'd like you to offer our audience again, as thought leaders, entrepreneurs, influencers, marketers, what are the top three things you recommend they do? to get better at the kinds of things you can advise on in terms of marketing, technology, influence. Um, they can do right away to make a difference. They can only come from you. Yes. And second, if someone's thinking, Mo Engage sounds pretty bad arse, which I say that way because I think I um, clicked the box that says this is a Rated G podcast. Um,
1: uh, and how would they get a hold of you? Okay. So I think uh, actionable insights right away. Um, if you were sitting there and you're like, hey, what could I do? Um, I would first make sure uh, to read this book called The Story Brand. Um, I would spend my time building a story brand. Um, I would read it. It's it's There's one key thing um, really focusing on is making your, understanding your customers, prospects are the hero. You're not. Your product is not the hero. They are. Um, and the second thing is that spending time understanding your prospects, uh, whether it's through phone calls or surveys or emails, spending that time on a constant basis um, and digging in. And the last thing is focus on their problems, not not your product. Um, like, and if you want to talk, you want to have conversations. Totally happy to do that. You can message me on my LinkedIn, um, right? linkedincom slash empathy, My full name and. Send me a message. Always down to talk to people, help them, you know, populate ideas or just get through things um, if they're stuck in certain instances. Um, Happy to do that. And MoEngage, if you are interested in what we do and how you want to engage your audiences and ensure they get value as they're building their brand and engaging with their client base, uh, best way is go to MoEngage.com and click on the demo button and we'd be happy to see how we can help. um, First, hear your problems and see your challenges before saying what we can do, because ultimately it comes down to uh, the challenges that our prospects and customers are having and how they want to solve it and knowing they're the heroes. And we're just here to help as Yoda. Fantastic. And to the listener,
0: I'm going to link to all this from the episode page of thoughtleadershipstudio.com. So if you're listening on an app, The link will be in the episode description. Click on it. I have all the details links there. And it's been a pleasure. Fascinating interview.
1: Thank you, Chris. Appreciate it. appreciate your time.
0: Thought Leadership Studio. So thanks again for listening to thought leadership studio i'm your host chris mcneil strategic thought leadership coach and consultant and i hope you enjoyed the interview with aditya vimpati of moengage where we discussed things like moving from engineering to the satisfaction of positive influence humor and innovation in marketing the art of meeting customers where they are, and the transformation of traditional marketing beliefs. And if you are listening on an app, make sure you click the link in the episode description. It will take you to the episode page on thoughtleadershipstudio.com where there are a lot of resources, including links to Aditya's information and the free Marketer's Guide to Strategic Thought Leadership, a free and instant download to help you With the building blocks of your own thought leadership. Thanks again for listening to Thought Leadership Studio. Definitely appreciate subscriptions and reviews. Look forward to seeing you at the next episode. Thought Leadership Studio.